Chapter Seventeen of Beyond These Voices. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Beyond These Voices by Mary Elizabeth Braden. Chapter Seventeen father cyprian hammond returned to his comfortable rooms in the northwest region one rainy autumn evening after a long day in the dreariest abodes of east london he was almost worn out by the bodily fatigue of tramping through dismal streets with one of his friends and allies a priest from the cathedral at moorfields and by the mental strain that comes from facing the inscrutable problem of human suffering the mystery of sorrow and pain inevitable unceasing beyond man's power to help or cure he had visited the poor in great hospitals where every detail testified to the beneficence of the rich yet he knew that the comfort and cleanliness of the hospital must needs accentuate the dirt and squalor of the slum to which the patient must return he sank into his armchair with a sigh of relief and was sorry to hear of a visitor who had called twice that afternoon and would call again after nine o'clock did he leave his card yes the card was there on the table mr claude rutherford father syrian had not seen claude since the opening day of that inquest which had been so often adjourned only to close in an open verdict and a mystery still unsolved he had not seen claude but he had seen mrs rutherford more than once in that quiet month when life in west end london seemed to come to a standstill she had talked about her son as she talked only to him opening her heart to the friend who knew all its secrets the best and the worst of her hitherto she had never failed to find him interested and sympathetic but in those recent interviews it had schemed to her that if the close friend of long years had changed as if he was talking to her from a distance as if some mysterious barrier had risen between them she had told him of that conversation with her son in which he had promised to confide in this old and trusted friend that had happened more than a month ago and the confidence had not yet come perhaps it was coming to-night i will see mr rutherford at whatever time he calls father cyprian told his servant his dinner was short and temperate but not ill-cooked or ill-served he drank barley water but the jug that held it was of old cut glass picked up at a broker's shop at a back street for seven shillings and worth as many pounds his silver was old family plate his napery of the finest it was past nine when claude rutherford appeared and the first thing father cyprian observed was that he was physically exhausted he dropped into a chair with a long sigh of fatigue 
and it was three or four minutes before he was able to speak. "'I knew you would have finished your Spartan dinner by this time,' he said, "'but I hope I am not spoiling your evening.' "'You ought to know that I have nothing better to do with my evening "'than to talk with anyone who wants me,' answered the priest, "'in a low, grave voice that was like the sound of Holman's bow "'in an adagio passage. "'And I think you must want me, or you would not come to this house a third time. "'What have you been doing since six o'clock? "'You look horribly fagged.' I have been to Hampstead. It is a fine night, and I wanted a walk. You have walked too far. You are ill, Claude. A little under the weather, the modern complaint neuritis, and its concomitant insomnia. You ought to go to one of my neighbors in Harley Street. No, I want you, the physician of souls. This corporal frame of mine will mend itself when I get out of London, a thousand miles or so. Do you remember the night we walked home together from Portland Place? You pressed me very hard that evening. You tried to bring me back to the fold, but the time had not come. And now the time has come? questioned the priest, pushing aside the book that he had been reading and bending forward to look into a page of human life, bringing his searching eyes nearer to the haggard face in front of him. Yes, the time has come. What is the matter? Oh, only the old disease, a more acute phase, the disgust of life, satiety, weariness of the world outside me, loathing of the world inside, the old disease in a variant form. I want you to help me to the cure. It must be heroic treatment. Half measures will be of no use. I want you to help me to enter one of the orders that mean death to the world. Dominicans, Benedictines, La Trappe, anything you like. The harder the rule, the better it may be for my soul. This is strangely sudden. Perhaps it is an inspiration. But no, my dear friend, not sudden. The complaint is chronic and has been growing upon me for the last ten years, ever since I found that I was a failure. That discovery is a crisis in man's life. He looks inside himself one day and finds that the fire has gone out. It must all come to that life mind heart all are contained in that central fire which is the soul of a man while the fire burns he has hope he has ambition he has a future when the fire goes out he has nothing but the past the memory of things that were sweet and things that were bitter nothing but memory to live upon in all the years that are to come and he may live to be ninety, a haunted man. I have done with the world, Father Cyprian. Am I to walk about like a dead man for ten or twenty or thirty years? I have done with the world. I want to give the rest of my life to the God you and my mother believe in. 
you would not want to do that if you were not a believer i was reared in the true faith yes i believe help thou mine unbelieve i will help you with all my heart but i do not think you are of the stuff that benedictine monks are made of and it is a foolish thing to put your hand to the plough unless you have the force of mine to finish your furrow i will finish my furrow and break your mother's heart perhaps your love is all she has in this life except her religion her religion is no less a force than her love my neglect of my duties has been a grief to her she has never ceased to remonstrate with me to remind me of my boyish ardor my days of implicit faith she wants to see you return to the faith and the obedience of those days but it would distress her if you took a step that would mean separation from her that would be inconsistent after all her sermons women are apt to be inconsistent even the best of them in any case even if my mother should object which i think unlikely i have made up my mind i had time to commune with my soul in that three hours walk through the darkness i came to you this night fully resolved not to ask your advice as to the step but your help in taking it where can i go to whom can i submit myself frankly claude i am too much in the dark to help you come to me at my church tomorrow morning after mass with your mind more at rest and make your confession let me see into the bottom of your heart i cannot talk to a man behind a mask i can say nothing till i know all no i cannot do that i must have time i want solitude and a cell i want to shake off the husk of the world that i have lived in too long i want to be done with earthly desires i shall have a new mind when i am in my woolen gown alas claude i doubt i doubt do you remember all we talked about when you were last in this room a long time ago yes i remember you remember how i tried to awaken you to the danger of your relations with mario provana's wife those are things a man does not forget you denied the danger but you did not deny your love you gave me your assurance not as a priest but between man and man that no evil should ever come of that love yes i remember i was not afraid of myself i belong to the great army of triflers and dilettanti i am not of the stuff that passionate lovers are made of but now death has intervened and the situation is changed two years hence you might marry your cousin without shame to either without disrespect to the dead are you capable of renouncing that hope by burying yourself in a cloister are you equal to the sacrifice would there be no looking back no repentance 
i shall never marry my cousin vera because she does not love you is that the reason no need to enter into details or to count the cost i have made up my mind for once in my life i have a purpose and a will you seem in earnest the words came slowly like a spoken doubt and the priest's searching eyes were on the pale face in front of him the countenance where the refinement of race a long line of well-born men and women showed in every lineament this sudden resolve of yours is inexplicable the priest continued in a troubled voice after a silence that seemed long it is not in your temperance or your manner of life since you came into a man's inheritance to cut yourself off from all that makes life pleasant to a young man with talent attractiveness and independence i would give much to know your reason for such a step haven't i told you my dear friend welt shimmers isn't that enough no it is not enough welt shimmers is the chronic disease of a decadent age if every sufferer from welt shimmers were to turn monk this world would be a monastery it is a phase in every man's life or a pose i know it is not that with you there is something behind claude something at the back of your mind something that you must tell me before i can be of any real help to you but you are your mother's son and you were steeped in sin i would do my uttermost to help you come to me the day after to-morrow i shall have had time to think over your case and you will be in a better mood for considering the situation to surrender this worldly life and all it holds is not a light thing that a man should do in a fit of the blues a man still on the sunward side of forty i who have entered my seventieth decade have no yearnings for a woolen gown i have made up my mind claude repeated in a dull dead voice the voice of an obstinate man good night End of chapter seventeen recording by linda marie nielsen vancouver b c